Welcome to Same Old Story. This is a podcast where two friends talk about movie remakes. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Rhiannon. So we watch two movies with the same story. And we go over and compare and contrast about what worked with the movies and what didn't work and what was reflective of the time and what has just come out half-baked. Let's get to it. Okay, we're going to kick it off with Ghostbusters. And I'm going to talk about... <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm no. very excited about this movie. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Okay, so we're doing Ghostbusters, which came out in 1984, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, directed by John, I, no, John, John, directed by Ivan Reitman. And so, okay, so Ghostbusters kicks off with its iconic opening scene in the New York Public Library. We see an older librarian reshelving books in a lower level as creepy things happen behind her, and she gets a sense of dread, and it starts to rise, and she... <laughs> <laughs> she looks up and she sees the card catalog and how much do I miss card catalogs? Ah, uh, right. Cards flying out. She runs through the shelves only to come upon something and accuse opening credits and Ray Parker Jr.'s Who Are You Gonna Call? Ghostbusters song. Ghostbusters. There you go. Yeah, you know it. You know oh, I know it. it. Don't I know it. <laughs> So then we're on to Columbia University campus where we're introduced to Bill Murray's Peter Venkman and Dan Aykroyd's Ray Stans. And Venkman is running some lame con to convince a pretty student that she has ESP. And Ray busts into the lab and giddy and insists that he go to the library to investigate the astral projection. We're close on this one. I can feel it. Ooh. And Venkman is less than thrilled that his scam has been upended and he reluctantly goes to the library. So at the library, Vickman and Stans meet up with Egon Spangler, played by Harold Ramis. Egon, this reminds me of the time that you tried to drill a hole in your head. And <laughs> ah, that was a great line. <laughs> and Egon says, that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. And they question the librarian as the uneasy head of the library looks on with Egon's equipment leading the way they go down to the basement find the books stacked to the ceiling cards to shelves ectoplasm and they begin to sense that there is something else down there with them and then listen do you smell something which is <laughs> my favorite <laughs> I love that because I like do that in the car. Like when I get lost, I have to turn down the radio to figure right. out where I am. There's too much happening. <laughs> so they turn a corner and come face to face with a ghost quietly floating, minding her own business, reading a book. Bankman tries small talk. Where are you from originally? Then it devolves to Ray's approach, which is stay close. Stay close. Get her! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Our kindly page turning ghost turns into a freaky skeleton. And they hightail it out of there, leaving the head of the library standing on the steps. They go back. They find that Dean is cleaning out their lab. He's been waiting to get them out. He couldn't be more pleased. Bankman and Ray drown their sorrows, pulling swigs from the bottle. And they decide to go into business for themselves. Call it fate. Call it luck. Call it, Call it karma. karma. 
<laughs> I love how Bill Murray sings for whatever reason. It's <laughs> so delightful, and it I would is like to. So delightful, and I, I admit I've taken a page out of his book when I'm at work as a barista in a well-known coffee chain. I do tend to sing my day through. <laughs> <laughs> you and Bill Murray incorporating a little bit of the lounge lizard from Saturday Night Live. Yes. I love it. Yes. So it's a great way to do a pep talk to yourself after you get fired from Columbia <laughs> University. <laughs> we don't need people singing to the coffee lady. <laughs> You're fired. So they take out a third mortgage on Raid's childhood home. Aww. The adult and the adult in me is screaming about what a terrible idea that is, but they are off to go see a dilapidated old firehouse. And Ray's assessment is Does this pole still work? This place is great! When can we move in? You gotta try this pole! I'm gonna go get my stuff! <laughs> Don't they make a comment that he's like a golden retriever? <laughs> I don't know, but there is a very certain aspect of Ray's character that kind of reminds me of you a little bit. <laughs> Aw, well, he's very, like, childlike, but, like, in the whimsical way, not in, in the, the whimsical way. <laughs> yes, in the whimsical and then very enthusiastic way. And yes. I, I yes. adore it. Yes. So our, yes. <laughs> our next scene cuts to the creepy gargoyles. <laughs> what? I said I couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm so sorry. Please continue. <laughs> next scene, we cut to creepy gargoyles at Dana Barrett's apartment, played by the iconic Sigourney Weaver. She's carrying groceries with the requisite leafy celery sticking out the top of the brown paper bat shopping bag, and she's making her way through the hall. Her neighbor, Lewis, darts out for a conversation. Lewis, played by Rick Moranis, is agonizingly nerdy with an extreme crush on Dana, and we assume that he probably just waits all day to hear her footsteps in the hallway. Um, so he can talk to her about everything, including workouts, tackets, and noise level of her TV. Dana catches the end, uh, Dana shuts the door and Lewis, she catches the end of the Ghostbusters commercial, smirks, unpacks her groceries, and then her eggs start cracking and frying on their own, and Dana sees them and approaches them and is confused, and then she hears a noise from her refrigerator and opens the door. And... Okay. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we cut to Ray, bringing in a broken down hearse that will soon become the souped up Ghostmobile. We mm -hmm. meet the inimitable Annie Potts character, Janine, one of my favorites, speaking in a very convincing Newark accent, as opposed to her Southern Belle divorcee accent on Designing Women two years later. Oh, yes. <laughs> no calls, no customers. And Bankman replies, don't stare at me with those bug eyes, Janine. <laughs> and then he says, sorry about the bug eyes thing. I'll be in my office. <laughs> He's like 10 feet away. Oh my God. He is throughout this whole movie. He is like a 2020 HR nightmare. Like he's so persistent with Dana Barrett. Oh wait, have we gotten to them meeting yet? 
We have not. Oh, we're, well. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're almost there. It's a spoiler. I'm sorry. This movie's only been out for like 35 years, but okay. This whole thing is a spoiler. <laughs> it is agonizing detail. <laughs> Okay, so Egon emerges from under Janine's desk, assuming he's been setting up her computer. Janine tries to engage uh, him in conversation, get the scoop on Egon, and we learn that he thinks Print is dead. Very insightful, Egon. And he collects spores, (laughs) mold, and fungus. I love that. (laughs) So um, I watched this uh, recently, you know, before we started recording to remember it. Um, And I watched it on Amazon with the x-ray function turned on. And it said that in some of the earlier scripts, there was like a romantic entanglement between Egon and Janine, but that they just decided not to put that in. And so there are a lot of like, like diehard Ghostbuster fans who have these lengthy forums about like, will they or won't they kind of. scenarios (laughs) between Egon and Janine even today all these years later (laughs) I mean it's very obvious that Janine is she's after Egon and Egon just doesn't even know what to do he's he's such a nerd he doesn't know how to say no or even how to like function in a relationship so he just goes along with the flow I love it (laughs) So, okay, so we're back. We're in the station. Dana Barrett walks in wearing a lovely dark blue checked cape coat. It's fantastic. And Venkman literally leaps to speak to her. Then he plugs in her into some machines and then offers some suggestions while eating Cheez-Its and drinking Budweiser about her situation. (laughs) (laughs) Consummate professionals. Ray and Egon start researching the building's history and consulting Tobin's spirit guide. And Venkman convinces Dana that he'll go back to the apartment with her. And it turns out after they go back to the apartment, they find nothing other than that Venkman is more like a game show host than a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is what I was talking about when I said... He's so persistent. It would be such a nightmare in 2020 HR. And I can't believe that women, and you know, I'm not so young that I don't remember men acting like super forward um, and persistent. I think that's really, the next generation is going to be a lot more enlightened about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I just, I just mean like, I can't believe that we've put up with it for so long. Exactly. That's the thing is that this didn't seem too crazy. She's got Rick Moranis locking himself out of the apartment to talk to her where she has to sneak past him. And you've got Bill Murray, who uh, I think acts like not threatening, but just an annoying creep and announcing that he's madly in love with her. And so she pushes him out the door. Right. Like after knowing her for 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> and really, it's probably just the coat, coat that's doing such great work. It's fantastic. You know, when, when we were kids and we watched this movie, I always thought that Dana Barrett was just like the height of sophistication. Like, yes, there were certain kinds of women who could live in New York City and play for the symphony and mm-hmm. wear a cape and 
Yes. I, yes. Yeah. And she's got a very conservative but very uh, attractive presentation. Somebody that really has it all together. Independent woman living in Central Park West. Yes. Love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dana Barrett. Dana Barrett. The, probably one of the last uh, beautiful Hollywood women with thin lips. She has, her lips are almost non-existent. And that is not a look that's been popular for a long time. I, <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to revisit her mouth. I, I haven't been looking at the size of her lips, but you could be right. <laughs> I am right. You okay. go, go see for yourself, though. Don't take my word for it. I'll, I'll verify and get back to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so so as the Ghostbusters, they're eating through the last of their petty cash <laughs> and their Chinese <laughs> takeout, and they finally get a phone call. Uh, Janine is putting on her shoes to go home in the evening. She says, yes, of course, they're serious. And then, you do? You have? <laughs> we got one! We and got she- one! And she slams her hand down on the button. <laughs> exactly. And the scene erupts into energy, complete with pole slides, swing music, sirens. They bust into a fancy hotel and are directed to a snotty hotel manager. They fire up their unregulated neutron polar packs or nuclear pro- <laughs> proton packs, uh, get into the elevator, get off the elevator, and then fire on an unsuspecting maid <laughs> <laughs> who asks them, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> it's like, okay, sorry, fun sorry. Fact. I thought you were someone else. <laughs> From the x-ray function on Amazon, I learned that that lovely woman was actually a maid at that hotel and something similar had happened with the movie crew as they were setting up or something. So they just put her in the movie. And it's great because it's so authentic. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we've talked about this before, about how she delivers her lines so convincingly. And just the certain tone that she has just immediately takes you to a mom who walks yes. in and kids playing and like, this room is a disaster. What are you doing? No, I think your mom had said that to us a lot growing up. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> she didn't sound quite like that. <laughs> okay, so they so they split up. Ray meets Slimer, disgusting blob, and Slimer runs into the wall. And then my favorite weird scene: why is that scene in there? Is the dining cart that Slimer has been eat snacking on follows him into the wall. It crashes in slow motion. And it's such a (laughs) weird thing to zoom in and slow-mo. I have no idea why that's (laughs) that action shot is there. Um, So anyway, Slimer runs into Vinkman. He slimed me. Egon, (laughs) that's great. Save some for me. (laughs) They go into the dining room, make a big old mess. Egon offhandedly mentions, oh yeah, don't cross the screams. It would be bad. A total protonic reversal. And they get Slimer contained. Finkman busts out of the room. We came. We saw. We kicked its ass. ass. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. 
It's a phrase I repeat to myself in my head at least oh, once a my month. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes, you and me both. <laughs> Actually, half of this movie I think is just constantly running on background in my yes. head. Yes. Uh, so we got the hotel manager gives them some guff, but the about the price, but there's no going back, and these guys are in business. So now we have a really fun 80s montage of the Ghostbusters running all over New York, being the stars of 80, 80s media, while Ray Parker Jr.'s, who you're going to call, is playing on the background. And we've got USA Today and Larry King and Omni, R.I.P. Omni Magazine. And Casey Kasem <laughs> talks about the Ghostbusters dancing at a disco after tangling with a ghost, while Dana is chopping something and drinking wine. And she's giggling and she's <laughs> like, oh, look at how successful these guys are. Maybe they're not such weirdos after all. And then, um, oh, my favorite headline is Ghostbusters Super Diet, <laughs> which we know is smoking and junk food. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> They're super diet. <laughs> That's my kind of diet. <laughs> yeah. Super what? <laughs> Cheese it's and beer. Super uh, beer belly diet. <laughs> Then there's a really odd moment. Oh, there's a really odd moment with a dream with a lady ghost. And you know what? I'm not even going to go into it. It's weird, but I'm not sure why it's there other than that's where Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis's minds were in 1983. So, well, you can... <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> go yeah. Back. And um, I also watched a documentary about the Ghostbusters... Oh, yeah. So I think that the Tobin Spirit Guide that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. a real thing. I think that was written around the turn of the century when um, seances were really popular. Mm. And then um, the other fun fact that I got from this was, it just slipped my mind. Wait, what were we talking about? <laughs> Tobin Spirit Guide. No, before that. <laughs> Uh, oh, the scene with the lady ghost. Oh, yes. So um, they had actually originally made the movie take place like in the future. And their Ghostbusters car flies through space. And they're already very popular. And they're really more like Terminators of Terminators? Like exterminators. Yeah. Exterminators. <laughs> Terminator. What is wrong with me? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all that is to say, maybe the dream sequence kind of came from those earlier scenes that, because like eventually they had to move all of these things around and the movie didn't really reflect their original vision anymore. Yeah. Except it's for just- the capturing of ghosts. It's like a weird choice to keep that one in there. <laughs> I'm figuring it's a bit of a male gaze dude thing, but still, like, it's it's a bizarre choice. But whatever. Let's move. Let's move along. Okay. Uh, because we're getting into Winston. Our, oh, yes. Our everyman Winston, played by Ernie Hudson, who answers an ad and is immediately hired. And uh, so meanwhile, Dana is coming out of her fancy symphony rehearsal, chatting with one of the finest musicians in the world. 
and Vinkman's okay. been waiting outside for her and notes that the guy looks like a stiff and he gives her a report on Zul, who is a minion of Gozer in Mesopotamia, Sumeria. Uh, then he convinces her to have dinner with him. And Dana is charmed <laughs> because Bill Murray's Vankman walks this fine line of being a charming goof and somehow not an annoying creep. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because it seemed like she totally flip-flopped. Like, she was so disgusted by him. And then they showed the montage of all the positive news stories. So then when she sees that he's, like, got a good reputation, she's like, maybe he's not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's I think not it's kind of totally shallow. Crazy. <sighs> Sorry, Dana Barrett lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Dana, you could have had one of the finest musicians in the world. Ex right? <laughs> okay, so, all right. So we've got uh, Ray is uh, explaining the ghost storage system to Winston. Janine uh, announces that she's tired. She's been working two weeks without a break and tells <laughs> Bankman there's a man from the EPA. And Bankman slyly blows off Janine's complaints. And she grabs the phone and says... I've quit better jobs than this. Ghostbusters, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> she really stole the show. She's amazing. Annie Potts just shines in whatever so she's much, in. So much love for Annie Potts. Just in, in any role, really. Uh, yeah. Janine is a consummate professional. So, okay, so now we meet Walter Peck from the EPA, and he is a smug mm. jerk sneering at Bankman, who is covered in slime and wants to meet, or he wants to see the storage facility. Bankman gives him the runaround. <laughs> when he asks to see it, he says, but you didn't say the magic word. He says, Mr. Bankman, what is the magic word, Mr. Bankman? Please. <laughs> So much of this spoke to me when I was a kid. Because <laughs> okay. I was like, that, that is what people say to each other, right? Because <laughs> when you're like yes. seven, eight, nine, actually, that's like a thing that people say to each other. It is I not a thing to... adults say to each other. <laughs> when we were kids, I used to call my brother a peckerhead because I learned that term from this scene. Isn't this the scene where he calls him a peckerhead? <laughs> Uh, I think he, like, uses a playoff words, like, when they're in the mayor's office. Ah. Uh, but yes. it applies no matter what. He's a mm -hmm. jerk. He is. Uh, so he, yeah, so he, like, in a jerk-like manner, threatens Vankman with a court order and leaves. And then we go down and we find Egon warning Rain Winston that their storage facility is about to be overrun. And helpfully uses a Twinkie for scale. <laughs> Again with the junk food and speaking to me as a kid and as an adult. <laughs> Love the junk food. Yeah. Uh, so then we've got a creepy storm at Dana and Lewis's apartment building. Our gargoyles are starting to fall apart and their eyes are starting to glow red. Something's happening. And then inside, Dana is tiptoeing through her hallway and it looks like she's just come back from her jazzercise class. <laughs> and she's holding a small brown bag now with little candies inside. <laughs> and I love her. <laughs> I love that she's just come back from exercise class and she's eating candy. <laughs> yes. 
So Lewis hears her despite the fact that he's got a party and music coming from uh, from his apartment. And he gets the devastating news that Dana has a date. You made a date tonight? And But then he rebounds and says, oh, that's okay. You can bring him along. And Dana <laughs> goes into her apartment has a chat with her mom on the phone and she's going on a date with a ghostbuster those guys on tv then she gets off the phone with her mom and <laughs> yes creepiest, those guys on tv <laughs> <laughs> the creepiest part where zool or demons doing zool's bidding reach up through the chair that she's sitting in and hold her down and suck her into the kitchen it's creepy oh yeah <clears throat> for sure so so then we get to Lewis's party and it's rocking and he's talking up his brie and telling people that it's all a tax write-off, which is why he invited <laughs> clients and not friends. <laughs> oh, and fun fact, that beautiful blonde with the pink sweater on dancing at the party was Casey Kasem's real life wife. Wow. I love that. And... <laughs> I love the x-ray feature on Amazon. <laughs> she really did stand out. She had a very pink uh, shirt on. And yeah, she 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 held her own in that scene. And she definitely and she was really cute memory. and memorable, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so Lewis tosses some coats into his closet and the, there's another gargoyle that's there and he asks who brought the dog and yeah. then is promptly run out of his apartment and chased through Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> so the gargoyle finds him at Tavern on the Green. I think that's the restaurant that is there. And as the rich diners watch him through the glass, the gargoyle corners him and attacks him. And they stop for about five seconds to watch him sink down and then go back to their dinner. Yeah. Okay. Venkman shows up at Dana's. He's making his way through wreckage and sees that Dana has a new look. And she opens the door and asks him, are you the key master? Not that I know of. And she slams the door in such an irritated and funny way. So he tries again. And this time he says yes. And Dana and Zool explains that she's waiting for Gozer. And she's ducked out in this amazing orange gossamer dress that has become a staple for Halloween costumes. And she's (laughs) rocking this light cat's eye. And her hair is standing up and out. There's a lot of volume. There's wind coming from places where and is that wind coming from? <laughs> she's writhing and saying all kinds of sexy and intimidating things like, Take me now, sub-creature. <laughs> <laughs> Very <And> Dom. <laughs> Bakeman rejects her and tries to talk to Dana, but there is no Dana. Only Zool. <laughs> And she angrily levitates off the bed, uh, which is a, a, actually a really nice special effect that they did. Uh, yeah. So then, meanwhile, we've got a possessed Lewis, and he's running around, talking to horses and shooting red eyes at carriage drivers, screaming that everyone will perish in flames. So the cops catch him, drop him off with Janine and Egon. Lewis is hooked up to the machines, and his heat profile shows that if there's a gargoyle rather than a man, Janine notes... There's something very odd about that man. 
<laughs> Usually, I'm very psychic about these things. <laughs> it is obvious to absolutely everybody that nothing's normal about this guy. <laughs> but Janine makes her move and snuggles up to Egon as he sighs and rolls his eyes and just stands there. <laughs> He's like, she is not a spore. I am not interested. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't stop Janine. She's (laughs) she's like a laser focused. So, okay, so we've got Vinkman, and he calls Egon to report on Dana, and he says that he was whacked her up with 300 cc's of Thorazine. And I don't know why or how he has Thorazine on him, uh, but Vagman heads back to the station, and meanwhile, Ray and Winston start talking about the Book of Revelations, and they start doing quotes, and I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood, and the seas boiled, and skies fell. Judgment Day. <laughs> That scene always spooked me out. Where they're in the car and it's really dark. It's dark and they're driving over the bridge. And there's like really quiet, haunting music in the background. Mm -hmm. I was like, that was, to me, that was the scariest part of the whole movie. (laughs) Just that (laughs) anticipation. It was really good. It's a really good scene. And then they end it and are like, how about some music? Which, again, is, like, <laughs> such a normal response. <laughs> Something right? Like, I don't want to talk or think about this. <laughs> Let's listen to some music. Uh, okay, so we're back at the station, and we've got Walter Peck. We returns with an order to shut down the system, as well as a cop and a guy with a hard hat. And Janine tries to stop him. Oh, no! I've seen TV. I know you can't <laughs> come in with a here without a warrant or a writ or something. love her (laughs) love it Egon and Vickman try to keep him from shutting everything down Peck insists and Egon mouths the words boom as they start to go (laughs) to the stairs after arguing Mr. Hardhat shuts off the ghost containment they run out Mm -mm. of the building and as all the Mm -mm. ghosts shoot out the top of the building Mm, Peck insists on arresting the Ghostbusters with being in violation of EPA law and Man, do I wish it was that easy to get someone who is in violation of EPA law rules arrested. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) So anyway, the ghosts are now loose in the city. And we have ghost cab drivers. We see Lewis making his way back to his apartment and Slimer chowing down on a hot dog cart. And Deanna, meanwhile, (laughs) is woken up and she has some main wind action blowing her hair all over. We go over to prison, and so we've got Egon mm. and Ray, and they've put together the architect of Dana and Lewis's building, mm. has a secret gozer-worshipping cult. They conducted rituals on the top of the roof meant to bring about the end of the world. And Winston says, are we really going to go in front of a federal judge and say some moldy Babylonian god is going to cop in on Central Park West and is going to start tearing up the city? No offense, <laughs> but I gotta get my own lawyer. <laughs> on this rewatch i gotta say i forgot how many good lines winston has he does oh, a, he doesn't have a lot of them but he really delivers i They're mean really I, I would i would say that he's he's 
he's performing high in the percentages. Like if he had 10 total lines, nine and a half of those are delivered in a memorable, amazing way. Yeah. Yeah. So like multiply that by however many things he actually got to say. Yeah. Because he made the most of his part in that movie. He really did. It's the movie has a fantastic cast. Everybody is just firing on all cylinders and even if they have a small part it's still so good um so yeah actually another um x-ray fun fact about Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is um the original who dan Aykroyd originally wanted to cast was james belushi and john candy and Eddie Murphy. But John Candy's agent insisted that if he was going to play it, he was going to play it with a German accent and have German shepherds follow him around. And they were like, yeah, that's not really on brand with us. And so (laughs) he didn't get to be in the movie. And then James Belushi unfortunately passed away before the movie came to fruition. And Eddie Murphy had some kind of scheduling conflict. So it ended up being with Bill Murray and um, Dan Aykroyd. No, I'm talking about Dan Aykroyd in the first place. So, (laughs) the other one. Harold Ramis. Thank you. Why do I keep thinking Norman? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I kept seeing his face and the name Norman would come to mind and then the other part of my brain would swat it away and be like, it's wrong! (laughs) (laughs) So I could never get to Harold Ramis. So yeah, and and I think that they really work well. I think that it was it was a good thing that 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 group got put together. Yeah, I I can't. It would have been a completely different movie and different vibe. That's for sure. It, this is this one is very loose, but I think that they can be loose because these guys work so well together and off of each other. That everything just feels very natural and organic and nothing. It's it's a good watch and watching them interact together is just entertaining throughout the whole thing. And okay. Oh, speaking of uh, people popping up in movies and making the most, I wanted to give a little shout out to Reginald Val Johnson the cop who tells the Ghostbusters that the mayor wants to see him. (laughs) This man has made his life's work playing Buddy Cop Al in Die Hard and the patriarch Carl Winslow, the dad, in Family Matters. (laughs) It's a brief glimpse, but very fun to see our favorite 80s cop. So I'm so happy to see that. It's Uh, amazing that he really just got those roles over and over. I mean... He did them so well. You can't he argue with perfection. <laughs> true, 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 true. So, okay, so we see uh, possessed Dana and Lewis, or the gatekeeper and keymaster, and they find each other, and Lewis finally gets to make out with Dana, and unfortunately, they are both possessed by Sumerian demons, so I don't really know if it counts or not. Uh, okay, so the Ghostbusters, they get in front of the New York's mayor, and Walter Peck is there, and he's still a smug SOB, accusing them of making <laughs> fake ghost sightings, and the Archbishop shows up and says, this church has no official position, but it may be a sign from God. 
and Bankman Ray, Egon and Winston make their case uh, and they say it's disaster of biblical proportions, Old Testament, real wrath of God stuff. And they give their speech of fire and brimstone coming down from the sky, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, <laughs> mass hysteria. And Mayor Lenny is convinced by the idea that HEMA could save millions of lives of registered voters. Yes! <laughs> Lenny kicks Peck out. Bankman is delighted. The, uh, the Ghostbusters show up with the police, the military, and crowds of New Yorkers cheering them on as a dark cloud descends over the apartment building. Music with the lyrics that are just repeating saving the day is going on. This montage is a little long. I will say this this one kind of goes for a while. And they get yeah. out to cheers and they're really enjoying the celebration. They're high-fiving the it crowd. It does seem like they spend... <laughs> an exorbitant amount of time just pandering to the crowd instead of like going up into the building to like fix the problem all i can think of is that it probably was really really expensive to shut down this area and get all these people together and so they needed to have like an additional 20 seconds of them just walking through and really enjoying the celebration i don't know getting the most for their money right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the ground opens up they fall down the crowd goes silent they crawl back up crawl back out a little bit of foreshadowing what's going to happen they make the long walk up the stairs up to the top of the building and all of that smoking and the cheez-its and the beer definitely did not prep them for the climb they get to the floor so they get to the floor they finally get there and they've got demon-possessed people, and the hallway is a wreck, and they're exhausted. And Egon, as they arrive and walk into the hallway, says, Art Deco, very nice. <laughs> Which is another reason I love Egon. <laughs> yes, but you are not a spore either. So he will never love you back. <laughs> So we've got, okay, so we're rounding out the final part of it. Gozer shows up, and Dana and Lewis turn into gargoyle dogs, and it turns out Gozer is a very fashionable young woman with a chic 80s long flat top Mm. with a lacy jumpsuit and red eyes. And Ray asks her to leave, and she responds, Are you a god? He says, No. (laughs) And then she does this little twisty, turny thing and goes, Then die! And the guy's... happened yes <laughs> and, and the guys then get says <laughs> no it's winston <laughs> the, the guys get oh. zapped they barely hang onto the edge and winston says ray the next time someone asks <laughs> if you're a god say you yes say yes <laughs> <laughs> They oh, shoot at her Winston. with full strength. She disappears. Her voice echoes over the city. Choose the form of the destructor. And Bankman uh, understands and tells everybody, implores them, clear your mind. And then, what did you do, Ray? And Ray runs to the edge of the building and looks on in horror and says, it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And we have oh. this, the iconic scene of the giant Mr. Stay Puffed walking through the city yes. with a frozen smile on his face as he's coming in to destroy the city and destroy the Ghostbusters and destroy everything. And 
Vakeman uh, tries to get Ray's attention. Ray's just babbling. He says, Ray has gone bye-bye, Egon. What do you got? (laughs) (laughs) And Egon's response is, sorry, Vakeman, I'm terrified beyond capacity for rational. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something you would say. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love Egon. (laughs) Oh, man. And they huddle together. this is another testament to his childlikeness. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they Between, huddled together. Like, he was just so painfully honest when he was asked if he was a god. He was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the marshmallow memory. I kind of do feel like I would think of a marshmallow in that situation. <laughs> just like, clear your head. About marshmallows, your marshmallows way too much. <laughs> S'mores. S'mores. So, okay, so our guys, they huddle together and they decide that they can cross the strings to swing the door back and send these spirits back to the other side. So doing that means that they have to sacrifice themselves. And as they run, (laughs) Winston says, this job is definitely not worth 11.5 a year. And he is right. They need to pay him more. Mm-hmm. They say their goodbyes, cross the streams, and concentrated power blows everything back to the other side. Marshmallow covers a city and a big old glob lamps on Walter Peck. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Lucky And Walter we find Peck. that the guys are alive after all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we find that the guys are, they're alive. They find each other. They celebrate. Then as Bakeman is starting to feel uh, the pangs of loss for Dana, he sees her hand moving and they tear apart the statue she's encased in. Lewis comes to as well and asks, who are you guys? Who does your taxes? <laughs> and I so appreciate that Lewis is always about that hustle. <laughs> he is. No matter what. He's, he's working an angle. Yeah. Winston well, stands in the center of everybody. Well, he to live in that fancy apartment. I mean, yeah. He, he's pulling down some bank. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So Winston stands in the center as everybody's walking out and shouts, I love this town! Ha ha ha! And then ah. does a big clap and Marshmallow goes everywhere. And they get down to the main level as everyone cheers their great success. And Ray Parker Jr.'s song is playing as a final treat. We get Slimer flying into the camera for one last goofy ghost moment. And that is Ghostbusters in 1984. Wow. That was very well told. It was a lot. I might you not be going into that much detail you for did any really other movie. <laughs> I do remember during our planning meetings for the podcast... <laughs> I specifically remember you telling me to cut out a lot of the detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, condense it to like six minutes. Six minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters 2016, runtime two hours and 14 minutes. Holy cow, that's a long movie. I don't think anybody really needs to watch a movie for that long. 
<laughs> it was so short attention span. <laughs> um, okay. Open on a haunted house tour by Zach Woods of the office fame. After closing time, he is assaulted by a poltergeist and then lured to the basement. Don't go to the basement. Everyone knows you don't go to the basement. And then in the basement, the floor opens up to some sort of green portal. Cut to Aaron Gilbert, played by Kristen Wiig, who is preparing to teach a college-level physics class. The haunted house manager, played by Ed Beagley Jr., love him, <laughs> comes to ask her if she will look into these strange happenings at the haunted house. And she resists because she's trying to distance herself from that part of her life. She's she a professional. To, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I have found that they are the consummate professionals in this movie <laughs> compared to the 1984 version. But they are just slobs. um so yeah so she's trying to distance herself from you know her ghost hunting past um and then this haunted house manager brings to her attention that he had found her on um a book that he read from amazon so she discovers that her former partner has released their book again so she can't buy all the copies of it (laughs) um (laughs) So, Aaron Gilbert, played by Kristen Wiig, goes to confront her former partner, Abby Yates, played by Melissa McCarthy, about Uh publishing without her consent. They had some very funny banter. Um, And then in walks Abby's new lab partner, Jillian Holtzman, played by Kate McKinnon. More hilarious banter. (laughs) I mean, it was really, it was just like... Zinger after zinger after zinger. Okay. It was very fast. Like I've heard of some comics, like stand-up comics, who measure out their sets by like laughs per minute. <laughs> and um this if they did that with this, then they had a very tight laugh ratio. Anyway. I I love Kate McKinnon's performance as Holtzman in this. She's so odd and it's so funny i adore it okay sorry yes. continue no yes so um aaron tells abby about the haunted house manager and that he came to see her and uh abby kind of gets it out of her why so she says well you know he's got this haunted house that's actually really haunted he thinks and so abby and holtzman they leave immediately and aaron reluctantly follows and they're all just killing me with their wit this this <laughs> this scene structure is very similar to the original Ghostbusters library scene, but also way funnier. Um, so they go, they do a little bit of investigation, cut to Kristen Wiig ends up getting fired over the ghost footage. So this was like the scene from the original movie when, you know, after the library scene, they go back to their university offices and the dean is like, we've cut your funding. Get out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the exact same job thing, loss. Right? She's a yep. Yeah. She's a physics teacher. She's not teaching the kids anything about this, but because these videos popped up on YouTube, they were like, We put your shit in a box for you. <laughs> tough so tough one. Yeah. But I love the twentieth twenty first century Ghostbusters because they have YouTube, they have Reddit, they have Ghost Hunter Reality TV. 
like, you know, all of these things that are so, um, well, for entertainment purposes only. Um, okay, so then, then is their scene where they're seeking out funding in a hilarious scene with Higgins. Um, cut to the subway station. Enter Leslie Jones as Patty, a subway attendant. I couldn't figure out, like, was she an information booth? Did she sell tickets? Did she do both? I don't know. Um, but so now the ghosts are in the subway. Meanwhile, the original three tour a fire station as a possible headquarters but the rent is bonkers high so they set up shop above abby's favorite takeout restaurant which has its own little subplot about how inept they are about getting her order right or there ever um so then there's like you know a montage of them setting up shop and kind of bonding and more funny banter um chris hemsworth comes in to apply for the receptionist's position he is incredibly stupid and awkward, but they end up hiring him anyway, and, and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> um, because he is very pretty. <laughs> he is right. Easy but on the is eyes. That, but that's not a reason to hire somebody. You know what I thought it was? I thought it was that they couldn't really get other people in to interview, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that it was just that he was hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was hot and he was sweet he was and they thought maybe they could show him the way yes but he well he could not be taught <laughs> <laughs> no um so patty from the subway approaches the ghostbusters in their hq much like the scene where dana barrett um went to the ghostbusters headquarters for the first time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. these ladies are the consummate professionals. They all go with Patty to the subway to investigate, not just mm-hmm. Bill Murray being a creep. And like, <laughs> I'll go with you. And going alone. Um, and then they do see a ghost in the subway. They almost get killed. They find some strange ghost technology and head back to HQ with it. Um, Patty returns with them, and even though she's just as useful as the rest of them, she still has to get a car for them to get on the team, and they still manage to complain about it. Okay, this is going to begin my rants about Patty. (laughs) Because Patty is arguably the strongest player in this game, and all they do is rag on her through the whole thing. She can never catch a break. Okay. So. There were some bonding montage scenes. Some bad news story montage scenes. Then Patty comes up with these amazing useful uniforms for them. And they're so cute. And so utilitarian. Mm -hmm. Right? In case they get the ectoplasm on them. But Erin still makes the comment. We are all scientists. And Patty, like pointing to Patty, like she's an other, like she's outside the group. I don't like it. Justice for Patty. Patty's getting everything done. Come on. Listen, as much as I love this movie, this is a problem for me. Okay. I still love the movie. So Jillian has vandalized a car, as in she took Patty's uncle's car um, that I, I thought, I had the idea that they were expected to return that car at some point <laughs> but she's decked it out for ghost hunting then they go on a call in the new cool car 
Abby finds another one of those devices, like from the subway, um, and then mannequins suddenly come to life, like in that first um, episode of Doctor Who with Christopher Eccleston, like the mm-hmm. first one of the modern series. It was like the same kind of thing. Um, so I guess they get to like save a little bit of money in special effects because that's already been perfected. <laughs> Patty tries to like do a like so there's like this concert going on and Abby decides they have to get something from the other side of the room so Abby decides to like surf the mob like jump into the crowd and they all like pass her around to the back so Patty tries to do it and the crowd just parts <laughs> and she falls to the ground and she gets up and she says I don't know if it's a race thing and I was again I was like why are you hating on Patty so much what is wrong with Patty? Okay. So then the ghost got all over Patty, but when they started shooting at the ghost, Jillian makes yet another Patty dig, even though Patty's like the one that's most in the center of all of this. <sighs> okay. Um, this has famed- very much become a justice for Patty crusade. <laughs> and I'm here really- for it. <laughs> Ugh, I get so worked up about Patty. Okay. I, don't you, I mean, also, there's that, like, affection for less dog on mm-hmm, social media mm-hmm. and SNL. Like, we love her, so we can't bear to see her characters <laughs> being taken. <laughs> well, but she's doing so much. She's doing all of the things, and everybody else has got their inner relationship drama, and she's just getting stuff done. She is, and they, she is not getting the things she deserves. Okay, so then a famed ghost debunker shows up to create some conflict, but he ends up being thrown out of the window by the ghost. (laughs) And then the cops come, but before they get a chance to arrest the Ghostbusters, Homeland Security swoops in and saves them. Mm. Homeland Security. And again, somebody made a dig on Patty. The director of Homeland Security asks them politely to stop catching ghosts, and they're like, hell no. So then Homeland Security launches a big smear campaign against the Busters. Patty (laughs) Patty shines (laughs) with her in-depth knowledge of New York City history, and they don't even bat an eyelash at this um, because she's not a scientist or whatever. So then they rush to a haunted hotel, and Annie Potts is there. And they track down the weirdo who has been setting up these, like, ghost tech things around town. Then he toasts himself so he can join his army of tortured souls. And then the NSA shows up and they fake arrest the Ghostbusters. But then the plot thickens because diplomats are expected to be at this hotel. So Abby gets possessed. Patty saves Jillian's life. Whilst she fights off possessed Abby, and then Patty saves Abby's life and then exercises the spirit out of her. Does she get a thanks and a no? And no, she doesn't. They just get up and keep moving. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I think that Patty has done enough. She needs to have her her own movie or TV show or something. She does. Yeah. She does. Okay, so then Kevin gets possessed, and he goes back to the weirdo's lair, and then the whole city becomes infected with ghosts. So then they, then the Ghostbusters suit up, they meet Slimer for the first time, who then steals Patty's uncle's car, because that's how Slimer rolls. <laughs> he will steal your uncle's car. <laughs> and put his whole family in there. <laughs> yes. 
Um, then Aaron saves the lives of the fellow Ghostbusters. So now that possessed Kevin has unleashed mayhem onto the city, they are all in for the fight of their lives. Patty saves Jillian again. Kate McKinnon gets a badass ghostbusting montage. And then the Ghostbusters are finally advancing to the hotel. And then they give their second nod to the Stay Puffed Marshmallow scandal of 84. And then Aaron <laughs> saves Abby from getting sucked into the vortex. And that was actually a very cool um, scene with, like, really fancy special effects. I don't know. It looked really fancy to me. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's easy. Maybe it's just, like, green screen. Like, they make that sound yeah. so easy, too. Um, victory. The happy ending is that they ended up getting enough funding for the fancy firehouse headquarters that they wanted. And then if you watched all the way past the credits, I heard someone say Zool. (laughs) (laughs) There's your setup. That's the setup for Patty to take on the sequel the next time. She's, She's in charge now. I loved Patty. Yeah. Um... Do you have any compare contrast fun facts that you want to talk about for both of them? Uh, I thought that it was really interesting that it was Paul Feig, who was the director, and uh, reuniting with Kristen Wiig, and uh, Melissa McCarthy was in Bridesmaids. They had worked on Bridesmaids together, and then adding in Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones, again, kind of like a central nexus of Saturday Night Live. Um, I didn't like this movie as much as I really, really wanted to. I love the first Ghostbusters, and I really wanted to love the new Ghostbusters, because I love all of those comedians. I think that they're all hilarious. I really liked Bridesmaids. I like movies directed by Paul Feig. But this one just fell really flat to me. It felt like there was a lot of story and a lot of I don't know, it just kind of felt like things kind of weighted it down a little bit. And where, especially whereas, like, the Ghostbusters from 1984 is just very loose. (laughs) And as we talked about, like, the guys just kind of, like, work off of each other. The storyline is not complicated. It's very thin. And it's it's fast, (laughs) too. And it's shorter, too. And it, it is shorter. It has that going for it, for sure. I'm with you on there. On that. But... Um, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, even if it's wrong. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, this movie, I feel like, was superior to the original, and I didn't think that could happen. It's superior? Yes. I went into (laughs) watching this movie for the first time thinking, I hope it doesn't suck. And I came out the (laughs) other end. Uh, I like it more. I don't know. I... I like it more because I like the jokes more, but the first one definitely has a much stronger sentimental um, attachment to it just because, you know, we've been quoting this movie on a regular basis for (laughs) 75% of our lives. So, Yeah, and that's, for me, when I went back and watched it, I hadn't watched it from beginning to end, just a solid sit down and watch in years and years. And I was surprised at how well it stood up. I was kind of 
preparing myself for it to be a little bit dull or drag a little places, but it didn't. It kept moving. And even though I knew exactly what was going to happen and how the lines were going to be delivered, I was still really engaged with it. But I am mm-hmm. shocked that you like the new one better. <laughs> I do. Listen, the new one had Kate McKinnon. It did. I mean, that I, alone. And then I, the, you add in Leslie Jones and Bolson McCarthy. You have Kristen Wiig. You have Higgins. You have Chris Hemsworth. You have a lot of the people from the original popped over to say hi. Dan Aykroyd came over to say hi. Annie Potts did. Um, Patty's uncle was Winston. Yeah. Bill Murray ju- jumped over for a and second. Sigourney yeah. Weaver was the lady at the very beginning that um, Kate, that, no, not Kate McKinnon, uh, Aaron is talking to at the opening part with her boyfriend. That's Sigourney Weaver is the professor she's trying to impress. Oh. I know. I didn't recognize her at first either. I was like, yeah. she looks so familiar. And I, was like, I totally missed that. Probably. Oh, yay. I get to go back and watch it again. <laughs> Hooray. I still remember, though, and I, I know what you're going to say about this, but our listeners don't know. But I still remember watching the original in your basement and then calling 555 for the Ghostbusters. Somebody actually answered, and she was like, ha, 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 no, this isn't a real number, and she hung up, and I told your mom, and your mom was, like, laughing at me about this, because it was, like, funny, but, like, in a cute, like, little kid way. I know, and I don't remember this. Like, I want to remember it. It sounds like something we would do. I know the phone that we would have used. (laughs) Yeah. There's a 78 three five six percent chance <laughs> that i dreamt it but it was like one of those really real dreams i here's the thing that sounds the most unlikely i think my mom would have been irritated about it <laughs> <laughs> she's not a relaxed lady <laughs> she would have been like it better not be long distance right <laughs> Kids, we used to have to pay to talk to people who are outside of our area code. Right. <laughs> like, pay extra. They don't know. Yeah, that that's the part where I'm like, did that happen? I don't know. I can't imagine my mom. It, it, maybe it didn't happen. Being I relaxed. <laughs> and amused. Okay. Let's take it to the dough-o-meter. Take it to the dough The Doe-O-Meter, How Half-Baked Was the Remake. Rhiannon, you go I'm going to say that the remake was flat as a pancake. I mm. wanted to like it. I, I just could not get into it. It felt heavy to me and like it was trying to prove something, which is really difficult when the original was all about being irreverent, kind of uh, sticking your thumb in the eye of 
the system and the man and any kind of authority figure and just kind of shuffling off and doing your own thing and meeting with great success and New York wrapping its arms around you. And the newer one was a lot more interior and there was a lot more story and there's a lot more interpersonal things that just didn't click for me. I really liked Kate McKinnon's performance. I liked Leslie Jones and I love Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, but all of this together, it, the recipe just did not come together. So yeah, flat old doughy pancake, like an IHOP wow. pancake. Wow. That's <sighs> man. That's hard to hear. I would put it as a perfectly fluffy angel food cake. Angel it came food out cake. well balanced. <laughs> it is moist and fluffy, but all the way cooked. <laughs> this movie is all the way cooked. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see with our next movie. What will our next one be? Man, that's a good question. <laughs> I can't remember right now. We'll figure it out and we'll post it on our Instagram. There we'll we also go. figure out what our Instagram is called, too. We'll good let idea. you know. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> okay, that is all. All right, this was fun. <laughs>